Good morning. I'm feeling a little sad that our uh, Proverbs series is almost behind us. It's been some good times, I think. A weird quirk of my growing up, and I probably should say one of the many weird quirks of my growing up, is that we always called the grocery store the market. We had a super fresh that was nearby us, and we would say that we need to go to the market. But by saying that, we meant we had to go to the grocery store, which I thought was the way normal people spoke. And this may be the way you grew up too. Maybe it's a northern Delaware thing. But when I went to college and would say to people, I'm going to the market, they would say, there's a market around here? And I'd say, yeah, I'm going up to the super fresh. And they go, well, no, no, that's, that's a grocery store. That's, that's not a market. So apparently I was misled through my childhood, my very troubled childhood. And if we thought it was confusing in our culture, you can imagine if I were to go to another culture and to use the word market, and by using the word market to mean a large warehouse-sized building with packaged food from floor to ceiling. Most cultures would have no, record, no thought of that being a market, particularly non-Western cultures. If you go to Morocco and you say, I'm going to the market, super fresh is not what they think of. They're going to probably think of a kind of market that we might call a bazaar or a farmer's market, where there's tables or booths set up on both sides of the road, and there's all kinds of different things to purchase. You might go from a table with fish to a table with fabric to a table with uh, sheep, and then a table with raw material and a table with jewelry. And there's this sort of cacophony of noise. It's much more lively than Super Fresh ever is. And there might be people calling out to you to buy their stuff. Fresh fish! Come get your fresh fish. Best silk in the city. Generally, when I'm at Superfresh, there's no one calling out, Ragu, <laughs> right here, come get your Kellogg's Rice Krispies. And a matter of fact, when there are people doing that at stores, it generally kind of, we don't like it. Like when you go to the Home Depot and there's a guy there tell, selling shingles, and you know you have to walk by, he's going to say, hey, I got shingles for you. You're like, no, I'm okay. I don't need shingles or air conditioning systems or solar panels. But if you were in a market, sort of the traditional market, the market that Solomon would have known, this is, this is the kind of market, market from antiquity, you'd be used to more of this sort of cacophony of noise and these voices crying out, look, look at my product. Look at what I'm selling. <coughs> and it's this image that the book of Proverbs captures in chapters 8 and chapters 9. In these two chapters, we have people calling out to us. Imagine that, you're, that, you, that you are a simple traveler, traveling through life, but the, that life is sort of like a marketplace in the Middle Eastern sense, a market. And you're traveling through life, and as you travel, there's these voices calling out to you, saying, look at me, spend time with me, spend your investment with me. Who will you listen to? Who gets your ear in the marketplace that is our lives? Well, one person calling out to you is wisdom. So as you go down the street of the market, you, hear, you start hearing this voice. This is, Proverbs, this is verses from Proverbs 8. 
Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights beside the way? At the crossroads, she takes her stand. At the gates in the front of the town, at the entrance to the portals, wisdom cries out, O simple ones, I have prudence. Fools, I have sense. Hear, for I speak noble things. From my lips come what is right. From my mouth, I have truth. I have insight. I have strength. For those who love me, I love them. Riches and honor, verse 18, are with me. Enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. My yield, what I have here, is better than silver, she cries out to you. I have righteousness, paths of justice, she cries out to us. Listen to me, she says. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Blessed is the one who listens to me, who watches daily by my gates, who waits beside my doors. With those kinds of promises, strength, truth, righteousness, justice, you might wonder why would we ever go to any other table in the bazaar or the market of life? What would ever cause us to not stop and stay at the table of wisdom? Well, there might be several answers to this question, but I'd like to suggest one today because I think it's the one that Solomon is sort of touching on with the imagery, and that is this. We have such a short attention span that we can't hardly give wisdom enough time to understand her benefits. Because no sooner do we stop at the table of wisdom than we're half-eyeing the next table. I wonder what that table has. Hmm. And our culture, as you know, does not help with our attention span. Our culture is in the business of short attention span. Those of you who go to news sites on on the web, you're probably used to these kind of ads. Ones that have like a obviously Photoshop picture of some celebrity looking really bad. And under it, it says, 20 celebrities who have hit hard times. You won't believe number eight. Have you seen these? There'll be a picture of this like really large, uncomfortable looking vegetable. And it'll say, raise your IQ by 30 points. Eat this every day. You're like, what is that vegetable? And you're like, uh, uh. I'm supposed to be doing schoolwork, but oh. And I just saw this one on Friday. So I added it because it was just just perfect. A python eats a porcupine whole. You won't believe what happens next. I don't know what happens next because I didn't click on it. All of these are examples of what marketers call clickbait. I don't know if that's a term you're used to clickbait, and it's exactly what it sounds like. They bait you to click on these sort of preposterous ads to draw you from whatever it is that you were supposed to be doing. And this happens everywhere on the internet, right? Did you ever go on the internet and all of a sudden go, how did I get here? Why am I now watching a cat video? I didn't intend to watch a cat video. I didn't start out watching a cat video. I'm watching a cat video. And you have to sort of trace your own attention or lack thereof. 
we all end up like those dogs in the movie Up. Remember them? Squirrel! That's us. But there's a science behind this. I recently read a book called The Accidental Creative. And in that book, the author talks about some research that I thought was profound, and he used this term, that we in our culture suffer from perpetual partial attention. Perpetual partial attention. Now, because we have active brains and we're creative, we've, humanity always struggles with partial attention because you're able to be doing what you're doing right now and you can be somewhere else right now. Right now. Come back to me. <laughs> Wherever you are at, come on back. Because we, we have this ability to have partial attention. But the research is saying that we are beginning to be people of perpetual partial attention. That it becomes very difficult for us ever to give full attention to any one thing because our culture keeps telling us you ought to be thinking about something else. You can't blame everything on smartphones, but you can blame some of this on smartphones because you actually, in the, in the pre-smartphone days, you might go, I wonder what the weather's going to be this afternoon. And then you would just have to forget about that in the middle of church. But now, you go, I wonder what the weather's like this afternoon. Okay, he's looking the other way. And you can look, right? You have this moment, you go, I could find that out. I could find that out, right? It's, an, uh, it's, it's a 4S, by the way. All of you are looking at like, what did he just pull out of his pocket? <laughs> this, is, this is a 4S. It still works. Last year, at Social Media Week in New York City, Michelle Klein, who's the head of marketing of North America at Facebook. So these people, they know their marketing. She said, I was watching a video of her talking about uh, social media and marketing. And she said, and this is her language, adults check their phones 30 times a day, which is about two times every hour. And then she went on, this was, this was actually interesting to me, to say, but here's what millennials do, which made me pause and go, so that means... She's defining adults as people 40 or over, which is an interesting definition of adults. So if you are 40 or over two times a day, but millennials, and a millennial is any of you who were born between 1980 and 2004, which is probably like most of you, right? If you were born between 1980 and 2004, you check your phone, are you ready? 157 times a day. 157. Now, that's average, and you might be going, that's not me, but it might be you. <laughs> you might be thinking, 157, that's this this morning. <laughs> 157 times a day, that's 15 times per waking hour that you check your phones. Millennials check their phones. Which means that it takes intentional discipline. Because some of you know, you might not check it 15 times, but you think, oh, I should do that. I should check my phone. Oh, no, I can't do it right now. And maybe you do, maybe you don't. But you have sort of this, we've, perpetual um, partial attention has created in us a sense of reaching for something else. No matter what's happening, we go, I could be doing something better right now. It also means that 15 times in the next hour, you're going to want to check your phone. And some of you will. This perpetual partial attention is not limited, of course, to phones. Our souls can start having 
perpetual partial attention. We see something in our lives that needs the voice of wisdom, but we only give it perpetual partial attention. We kind of we work on it a little bit until something else catches our eye and we click on it. We see something in our relationships that needs work. We know it needs work. We say, I'm going to work on it. I'm going to work on it. Squirrel! And the next thing you know, it's sort of flitted out of your head. Wisdom does not flourish under perpetual partial attention. Listen to the last verse again. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watches daily at my gates, waits beside my doors. Wisdom says, for me to function well, I need your full attention. And we might say, well, that's kind of demanding. That feels kind of demanding, wisdom. But it really is a protection because the others at the bazaar in the market that are calling out for your attention do not have the good things in mind for you that wisdom has in mind for you. So she is not being greedy. She is being protective. She is being parental. She is being caring. Let me give you one other person who's also on this market. Proverbs 9, calling out on the street also is the lady folly. Here's what she has to say. The woman folly is loud. So even as you're at the table of wisdom, lady folly yells loud enough. You're like, what did you say? Wait a minute, there's somebody yelling behind me. And that's folly screaming at you. It says, verse 13, she is seductive and knows nothing. Calling to you who pass by, calling to those who are on the straight way, saying, hey, simple one, turn. Simple one, turn to my house. To him who lacks sense, she says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. That sounds like clickbait to me. He drinks the stolen water, and you won't believe what happens next. But we do find out what happens next. Verse 18, the one who follows folly into her house does not know that the dead are there, that her guests end up in hell. Wisdom's demand for our attention is to protect us. And if we are not careful, if we are not paying attention, the next thing we know, we're at the wrong table, drinking stolen water and eating secret bread. And the next thing we know, we've made our lives a living hell. But the promise of wisdom, if we can attend to it, if we can pursue it, as we've been talking about over the last five weeks, if we can pursue wisdom, it also, she also has a gift for us. Wisdom says in Proverbs 8.35, whoever finds me finds life. Amen. We're going to enter into a time, a little bit of prayer and a little bit of reflection.
on some of the things that we've been talking about uh, in Proverbs uh, over the last few weeks. And I'm going to orient it around this proverb, so just listen. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The horse is made ready on the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. I think this proverb offers to us a balanced understanding of how life works. Success in building our character, success in building wisdom, success in relationships is a mix of our responsibility and God's power. Sometimes, using the context of battle, we need to be preparing our horses. We need to be getting ready for battle. We need to be saddling them up, washing them down, putting on the armor. There's work to be done if you're going to win this battle. But then there's the other side, that ultimate victory belongs with the Lord. And I find that, at least in my life, there's a lot of pendulum swinging when it comes to this balance. There'll be times where, if I, let's say you're working on a spirit of bitterness, where you go, all right, I'm just going to, I'm done with this. I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to do this better. And it sort of focuses on preparing the horse, everything you can do. And then it sometimes will swing the other way, and you'll go, I just give up. I can't do anything else. You throw your hands up in the air, and you go, we're done here. Lord, if it's going to happen, it's got to be you. I'm, not, I'm done. And so we sort of swing to the other way. And sometimes those extremes can be helpful because they show us what the middle ought to be. And that is that there is a responsibility for you to prepare your horses for battle. And then there is the gift of victory that comes only through the Lord. The ancient proverb captures in its imagery one of the great mysteries of human responsibility and divine influence. There's some mysterious connection between those two things. God gives us things to do, things to work on, things to improve. But ultimately, he is the one that gives the power for victory in those things. I'm glad that the children have returned because I want to close our time in Proverbs by telling you a little Middle Eastern parable. There was a wise man on a mountainside, looking at the valley below. And in that valley, he saw a young shepherd. And this shepherd was filtering the water to feed to his sheep. And to do this, he would have to divert the water from the brook and run it through different sizes of stones. First the large stones, then the medium stones, and the smallest stones, in hopes that by the time the water got to the sheep, that it would be clean. Sometimes he would pour the water into big jars, and he would just let the water sit there so that all the dirt in the water would sink to the bottom. Sometimes he had to take the water and he had to pour it through cross thatches of grass so that as he poured the water through, the dirt would get caught and that maybe something like clean water would come out. And it took a lot of work. And as soon as he had finished a little bit of the water, he would have to go back because the sheep would drink it. 
And he'd have to go back to this dirty brook, and he'd have to start again with either the stones or the jars or the, the grass. The wise man watched this process for a while, and then he made his way down the mountain to the shepherd. And he said to the shepherd, why do you clean your water here? And the shepherd said, well, because my sheep need clean water to drink. And the wise man said, no, why do you clean the water here? And then the wise man gestured to the young shepherd to follow him. And so the shepherd penned up his sheep and began to follow the wise man up the river, up this dirty brook. And after some time, they reached the spring, the fresh spring from which this brook came from, the pure, clean water coming from the earth and pooling before it flowed down into the brook. And in that pool were animals, zebra, elephants, giraffe, all kinds of animals walking in the water, dirtying the water, muddying the water, making the water filled with all kinds of filth. And the wise man said to the young man, guard the source and the flow of water will be clean. Proverbs tells us this, above all else, above all else, guard your hearts, for out of it, everything flows. We all know that you could work on angry words, you can filter angry words again and again and again. But if you're not dealing with an angry heart, you are working too far downstream. You can have broken and damaged relationships, and you can work on each and every one of those relationships. But if you have pride in your heart, then you are working too far downstream. Guard the source, and everything that flows from it will be pure. This is what wisdom offers us. Because the flip side is true as well. If we have hearts of compassion, then everything that flows out of us will be compassionate. If we have hearts of truth, then what flows from us, what flows out the pipes of us, of our words and our actions and our thoughts, those pipes will be filled with pure water of truth if we've protected the source. If we have hearts of love, then we will have actions of love. Above all else, guard your hearts, for everything flows from this. Doing that, being people who guard our hearts and fill it with truth and humility and wisdom, in short, fill it with the character of Christ, the great I am fills our hearts and then from us flows that power and that purity and that humility. When that happens, 
that we receive the promises that we started this whole series off with. We receive and experience a revolution of wisdom. Amen?